0: This is the Real Estate Investing Abundance Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Allen. I just want to take a moment to introduce you to our company, Steed Tucker Capital. Steed Tucker Capital is a real estate investment firm. If you'd like to learn more about real estate investing, head over to our website, steedtucker.com. And while you're there, take a moment to get your one page guide to the 10 steps to Passive Real Estate Investing. Downloading this PDF will also enroll you in our Enlightened Investor Circle, and by enrolling in the Enlightened Investor Circle, you'll be the first to know about any new investment opportunities that we are getting involved with. Look forward to hearing from you. Enjoy today's show. Hello, enlightened investors. Welcome back to Real Estate Investing Abundance. I'm your host, Dr. Allen. It's a pleasure to be back with you again today. And we're going to take a look at an investment asset class that is making waves in real estates. For essentially the last three or four years, I've been hearing about it, and that is farmland. And I am glad to have with us an expert on this topic David Chan is the Chief Client Officer, Head of Business Development, and founding team member of Farm Together, a farm land investment management company with nearly $200 million in assets under management in the United States. So David, take us into the show, share a memorable experience that helped you to be who you are today.
1: Certainly, and thank you for having me. It's, it's wonderful to be here. I think for me, a memorable experience that has really shaped me, you know, I would have to say is, you know, unfortunately, a, a bit of a sad one, but one that showed me how precious life is, and you know, that was uh, losing someone very close to me right before a big transitional period in my life. So I did uh, attend business school, received my MBA from Harvard, and the day that I was supposed to uh, move into my dorm and and go up to Boston and get settled in. I actually uh, lost a family member to cancer and, you know, it sort of put life on pause and, you know, maybe question whether or not I was going to go through business school at this time, or you're just kind of frozen there for a moment. But, you know, this, what really made this experience formative for me was one, obviously just realizing that tomorrow is never promised, but also this family member of mine asking me to go, you know, and and telling me that I still needed to, to do this. And I needed to make the most of this experience and the most of what at HBS we would call our one wild and precious life. And so I I did that and I moved my stuff up. And my now wife, then girlfriend was with me through the whole process and was very supportive. And I, I made it through. And that first year was very rough. It's not news that you share with 90 strangers who eventually become your very good friends over the two years there, my section mates um, or others. But you know, it did, I think, make me a very resilient person. And it did make me very much appreciate the present and an understanding that, you know, tomorrow is never a given. So for me, that was quite formative. It changed my view on the world. It changed my view of just relationship management and enjoying time with those who we love. And i prioritizing the things that matter most in life. Yeah.
0: Wow, well, what an incredible lesson to learn. And uh, one way, all, I guess uh, I, I need to constantly remind myself of is that The only time we have to live is the moment, and uh, so easy to get uh, caught up in what we're going to do in the future and forget that we live here in the moment. Well, thank you for taking us into that, David. So just start us off by really defining what is uh, farmland investing?
1: Certainly. So investing in farmland is exactly what it sounds like. We're investing in the real estate itself, agricultural real estate, land that is used to produce agricultural commodities. So that can range across two broad uh, groups, one which we call specialty commodities or permanent commodities. Those are commodities that grow on long-lived assets like trees or vines and you are underwriting those assets with economic lives of 25, 30, in some cases, maybe even 50 years of production. So examples of those types of commodities would be anything in the tree nut family, almonds, walnuts, pistachios, pecans, hazelnuts, citrus, which would be limes, lemons, tangos, mandarins, nables. You have uh, wine grapes and table grapes that grow on vines. You have tree fruit, like nectarines, apricots, uh, apples, pears. So a a pretty broad range of specialty commodities. And that would be what we call permanent plantings. And and they're called permanent because you have, again, a a tree or a vine that's a a long-lived asset that you're depending on Uh, production and cash flow from for often decades. The other group is what we call annual or row crop commodities. And that would be bare land that is planted every year to annual commodities like corn, soy, wheat, lentils. And so that is obviously quite different from an underwriting perspective and also a yield perspective because you don't have a long lived asset there that obviously changes the risk profile of that land. But you're also dealing with a more, I would say, homogenous commodity market. These are commodities that often can be grown in lots of different parts of the world. They're not as sensitive to uh, particular climates, which uh, many of the specialty commodities are.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering about uh, about truck farming, like uh, like vegetables, tomatoes, carrots, cabbage, uh, those kind of crops. Do you ever invest in in those kinds of? of commodities.
1: Yep, so that would fall under uh believe it or not row crops. Um row crops. Okay. And uh and we do consider, you know, vegetable farms um you know, I believe we underwrote a property in California that was a tomato farm, so yes, we see those as well.
0: There certainly are some differences between farmland investing and the other more typical types of real estate investing. So just give us an overview of what are those major differences when an investor is considering farmland.
1: Sure. I think they are quite different, but they're also maybe more similar than many would think. So to start with the similarities, just like real estate investing, farmland has two return streams or components of return, one being income, the other being appreciation. So similar to any real estate investment, a cash yield from farmland, uh, a farmland investment is derived off of either operating income or rental income. Operating income would be if we hire uh, an asset manager to do the farming and we take exposure on yield and and commodity prices, whatever the net operating income uh, for a given crop year would be, could be paid out as income. Rental income would be if we lease the property to a tenant, they would pay us a, a rent for that lease and that would be distributed as rental income. And then uh, there's an unrealized appreciation over the course of holding the asset. And then of course, uh, if and when you sell that uh, farm property, you would then realize appreciation. So that is all pretty similar and, and analogous to real estate investing. I would say where farmland perhaps differs is that there are obviously a lot of nuances and I would say specialized expertise needed to manage different types of farmland. And so while Certainly, there are local uh, micro market factors that influence real estate appreciation prices, but property manager managing a commercial real estate building in Dallas, Texas is probably not going to have too different of a skill set than a property manager in Chicago, Illinois. Right. Whereas an operating partner who's managing corn and soybean land in Northwestern Illinois is going to have a very different skill set than, uh, say, a Uh, a wine grape uh, viticulturalist who is managing vineyards in Paso Robles, California. So there's a, you know, there's certain domain expertise, certainly that is different between the two. But as a asset class and looking at how economic returns are generated, it's actually very, very similar and analogous to real estate investing.
0: Enlightened investors, if you haven't done so already, be sure and click that like button, and also click that share so others can take advantage of the content. And finally, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single one of our upcoming episodes. That brings up a question in my mind to go out and find some fairly competent and capable property managers. It's probably not going to be too difficult to do that. In fact, you put if you even put an ad in the paper, you're probably going to get several, maybe hundreds of applicants for that. I would think the applicant pool for a farm manager would be considerably reduced. Is that the case? And where are you finding competent managers?
1: That's an excellent point and very true. So it is certainly not a nearly as large of a market for operating partners as, as probably Uh, Commercial real estate property management. You know, I think uh, particularly in the West where a lot of the specialty commodities are grown, there are probably maybe hundreds of operating partners, which may sound like a lot, but that's a very small number if you consider how many hundreds of thousands of, if not millions of acres are, are in production there. So it's actually a quite a small number. And I would say that a good portion of the relationships that we have with operating partners do come from our team's collective experience and track record in farmland investing. And um, our team has decades of experience at prior organizations where we've worked with many of these operating partners. And so we have established relationships. We have a sense of the skill of different operating partners. And so that obviously helps to, um, I would say, accelerate the identification process in selecting an operating partner. That being said, that certainly doesn't prevent us from evaluating new partners. And we have formed new relationships and have hired new Operating partners and it's no different of a process for new partners where, you know, well, it starts with the conversation on what their zone or scope of geography is. Where will they service assets and getting a sense that their footprint matches and overlaps with ours, understanding their practice, their production history, doing due diligence on their production, doing due diligence on their financials and understanding, you know, how credit worthy of a part uh, of a partner they are and. I think another big aspect for us is we enroll all of our our properties in a standard called the leading harvest farmland management standard, which is a broad sustainability standard that covers various aspects of uh, farmland stewardship from soil conservation to water management to uh, even labor practices. And so for us, since we enroll every single acre in that standard and we are audited by a third party, a certified third party auditor on those practices, we need to ensure that any operating partner feels comfortable and competent working within the bounds of that standard. So that is also a large item for us and having discussions with potential operating partners. But it's certainly part of our investment strategy. Um, I often Say, you know, you could have the best piece of ground or dirt in in the state and in, in the country and the world, but if you don't have a skilled operating partner and network to service that asset, you're never going to realize the full potential of that property.
0: Yeah, that's that's what I would think. And I mean, as, as you're talking here, I'm just thinking of, well, I think our, I, I'm not sure exactly how to answer ask this question, but as I think about it, I mean, we think of farming as farmers being tied to the land and and historically from generation to generation, actually, that uh, farms have been passed down to from one generation to the other. And not only are these families grounded in the land themselves, but they have this accumulated knowledge and expertise, not only how to farm, but how to manage uh, farms. How is, or if you even Have a template for this. Are you integrating with the historical aspect of farming in conjunction with your business plans?
1: Just so that I fully understand the question, are you asking this in in the light of uh, more family farming, generational farming, or more management practices and, and how those are evolving?
0: Well, I'm wondering how a sustainable business could not really kind of marry marry the two. I mean, I know there's a lot of huge agri farming out there, but by and large, it isn't very sustainable. Uh, I
1: see. So, you know, for us, you know, we are long term investors. We're not flipping farmland. Um, our deal horizons are typically ten years um, in duration. And so, for us, you know, it certainly does us no service to maximize yields in the short term at the cost of Depleting, you know, whether it be the soil nutrient content or depleting uh, the aquifer beneath the property or whatever it may be, that certainly doesn't benefit the surrounding community, doesn't benefit us either, because uh, when we go to sell that property, a new prospective buyer is doing their due diligence. And th- that is all going to be realized in the soil tests mm-hmm. and in the water tests that, you know, th- that there are issues there based on how the land was managed. So, you know, for us, we are long term investors, we manage that way. We think that the most profitable farmland investments are going to be ones that are managed as good stewards. And that's where you'll be able to, uh, to see the most appreciation for an asset. And so that means considering. You know any treatment options, uh, integrated pest management, fertilizer practices, any intensive management practice like tilling. I certainly don't want to say something too broadly. There, there could be a time and place for any management practice, but using the most intensive management practices at all times in order to reap short-term benefits at the cost of long-term rewards is not something that we think makes any financial sense, let alone considering the externalities on the environment and other considerations. So for us, you know, that is why we we were one of the earliest adopters of the leading harvest farmland management standard. We do believe sustainable farmland management is the future and key. And there are several different types of certifications out there. The reason that we opted for this one with leading harvest is the requirement of a third party auditor. That to us um, very much legitimized this management practice where, you know, we are not the ones writing our impact report. We don't have someone in our marketing department telling the world how sustainable we are. We have a, a certified third party auditor randomly selecting properties of ours in our portfolio, going on site and seeing with their own eyes whether or not we're operating within the confines of this standard. And we think sustainability in our industry should be held to the same level of, of esteem as uh, financial audits. You would never trust a financial audit from a company where the company's controller said, yep, I did the audit and it's all good to go. That would never fly. Um, so why, do we, why would we trust that for sustainability? So for us, the objectivity provided through the third-party audit process in Leading Harvest is what really led us to being one of the earliest adopters of that standard.
0: Wow! Well, that is impressive. Well, what makes farmland a a compelling investor? Why would our viewers and listeners want to consider it for their portfolios?
1: I think in today's world, you know, if you look at farmland yields, there are there are comparable yields out there in the market today with where rates are, and and I think some investors at the surface may say, okay, you know, this may have made sense a couple of years ago when interest rates were zero, but now interest rates are no longer zero. So why would I find something like this attractive? And the reason we still think that this is, is and in our view, will very likely always be an attractive alternative is the diversification benefits that it adds to an investment portfolio and the defensibility of the asset class. In over 30 years of uh, tracking, the NACRE Farmland Index, which is uh, the index that we use um, to judge Industry performance has appreciated and shown positive growth in all, but I believe one quarter. So if you do the math, that's a lot of quarters. Mm. Um, and no other asset class has, has proven to be as resilient, whether it was the dot com era, whether it was the great financial crisis, whether it was COVID or even our banking situation of the past couple of weeks, farmland is, is resilient. And that's because there's always going to be a need and a use for farmland. Similarly, the fundamentals within given commodity markets remain strong. On the supply side, we have the actual land that's being used as farmland has been declining, at least in the U.S., for quite some time, and we've lost a lot of the uh, acreage that we used to have. And then on the demand side, we have a growing population worldwide, also in the United States, and we have a rising middle class that requires a more caloric, heavy diet, often um Rooted in 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 meats, and obviously that has a step function change on the number of grains that you need to grow if you're going to support a diet that that is high in meat content. And so there's a confluence of a lot of different factors happening right now that are serving as a strong tailwind for the asset class. And so while cash yields, you know, may be comparable to what investors are seeing in. Uh, some other alternatives right now, if you consider both the appreciation component, which we believe will continue to be very meaningful as these fundamentals play out, and also the fact that farmland is such a strong diversifier and is uncorrelated with stocks, uncorrelated with bonds, uncorrelated with gold, and only has a mild positive correlation with real estate. When you add an allocation to farmland to your broader investment portfolio, your risk-adjusted return expectation for your broader portfolio will likely increase as a result.
0: Very interesting, David. So tell us about uh, Farm Together, how that operates from an investor perspective and how it is that investors can actually reach out to you to diversify their portfolios through farmland.
1: Certainly. So our website is meant to be and I think is a one-stop shop for investors who are interested in either just learning more about the asset class or making an allocation and investing in farmland so investors or prospective investors can visit us at farmtogether.com on our website we have a learning center which has previous recordings and webinars of different deal webinars that we host and also just thought webinars on various topics that are important in farmland today we have a webinar on how we underwrite water in the west particularly in california for example so that is obviously a, a going deeper into how we operate, but something that is on our minds and often on prospective investors' minds, how do we underwrite a risk like that? And so we have content on our learning center, on our website there. We also have multiple products, so investors can look at various options and see what may, might be the best fit for them. Uh, we offer crowdfunded investments with a minimum as low as $15,000. We have a diversified fund option if investors want to immediately have access to a diversified farmland portfolio. And for investors who may be active in real estate and may be participating or expect to participate in a 1031 exchange, we also offer 1031 eligible products uh, like tenant and common structures. So there's lots of different products, you know, hopefully each tailored to an individual's preference or needs. And uh, investors can learn about that on our website at farmtogether.com or certainly reach out to our team at clients at farmtogether.com with any questions.
0: Uh, what about accredited?
1: Uh, do you require
0: that your investors be accredited?
1: Yes. For our U.S. investors, we do require uh, that investors are accredited and we support the verification of accreditation status on our website. But if there's any questions on how to become verified as accredited or go through that process again, anyone can feel free to reach out to our team uh, and we'd be happy to help.
0: And what about liquidity?
1: Liquidity is going to, I would say, differ by product, So different products that I mentioned are going to have different liquidity parameters. Generally speaking, farmland is a longer term asset class. And so we would want to set expectations with prospective investors that, again, these are not short term flips. So our typical underwriting expectation is a whole period of anywhere between eight and 10 years. We do have some options like our fund that do have a, that fund specifically has a two-year lockup period after which there are opportunities for quarterly liquidity. So that is a a more liquid option than, say, a crowdfunded fund that is meant to be a closed end fund for 10 years. But yeah, it'll differ by option.
0: You had mentioned underwriting water. Can you just just real briefly tell us what that process is like for uh, underwriting the risk for water?
1: I don't know how to do that briefly, but I'll (laughs) try my best. So in California, there are over 300 GSAs or groundwater sustainability agencies, each of which is responsible and charged with creating a gsp or groundwater sustainability plan for that given area agency or district this is all under a new riparian rights piece of legislation that california passed back in 2020 called sigma which stands for the sustainable groundwater management act and so thinking about water due diligence for us it starts with what gsa are we in what your what uh irrigation district are we in? Understanding what a particular GSP or plan for that given district or agency is Is where we start. Then we would consider where are we located in the state and, and in that district and what is the underlying aquifer beneath the property? Is that aquifer positively re- recharging? Is that aquifer depleting? What is the rate of recharge or depletion? We would then consider what is the water availability currently at the property? Does it have two sources of water? Um, two sources meaning both access to surface water, which would be uh, you know often collected through rainfall, groundwater, which would be water beneath the property in the aquifer water table. And what is grown on the property or what do we intend to grow on the property? So if we're intending to redevelop a property into an almond orchard, we know generally how many acre feet of water an almond orchard of X size requires per year. So how many acre feet of water are we going to expect with reasonable confidence from surface water given precipitation patterns, rainfall history? How much groundwater do we expect to be able to acquire at the property given recent historical data on snowpack and snowmelt and whether or not that's an aquifer that's positively or negatively recharging? And also given the fact on the groundwater of the particular uh, GSA or agency or district that the property is located in, and what their rules and regulations are around groundwater usage. So we would try to put that puzzle together and figure out, you know, based on all of those factors, are we comfortable with water? And you know, I think often water in California, at least, is painted as a always as a negative risk. There are properties where water is a is a positive, and we may think that the property is actually potentially undervalued or, or will be a more promising investment over time because the water is extremely secure in our view. And so, you know, for us, part of our job in, in investing in farmland is implicitly investing in water as well.
0: Well makes uh, makes perfect sense. And we're just about out of time here, but desertification, well, is a a global concern, particularly with uh, global warming and what have you, and uh, certainly with so much of what is what you're doing is in the West. Uh, so much of the West is uh, is currently desert, and those deserts are really creeping up on us. Does your company have any plans or any efforts in terms of de-desert uh, desertification?
1: It's an interesting question. I mean, I think we operate in what would technically be considered a desert in some areas of our portfolio for us it's more so just you know looking at the underlying fundamentals of a property and if we think that the property is a sound investment for continued farmland investment We'll move forward. Um, I don't think we necessarily have a view or a purpose of desertification. You know, it's more so we want to be a good steward of farmland and continue to ensure that the U.S. remains a leader in farmland management and agricultural production. I think, you know, just by operating in some parts of, of the country where we do, if we're not technically a desert, we have a desert in our backyard. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, that area of the world or that area of a state is not ripe for production of a given agricultural commodity. There are many commodities that actually thrive in those types of environmental conditions. Mm-hmm. So I would say that's how that's how we approach that, that topic. But it's an interesting question.
0: Well, it uh, sounds like a very fascinating and a viable investment with, as you pointed out, uh, resilience and uh, diversification of portfolios. So it has definitely been a pleasure, David. Very informative. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Enlightened investors, don't go yet. I have just a couple of quick requests. You know the drill. Like, share, and subscribe. But we also need your help to build our audience, so please go to your favorite podcast app and leave us a five-star rating and review. I'll be most grateful. Until next time, prosper and live abundantly thank you for tuning in to real estate investing
1: abundance brought to you by Seed talker capital a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid passive real estate investments